Hey, listeners, Tig here. One of my favorite parts of this podcast is hearing back from listeners who have received advice on the show. Here is an update from Justin, who Reese Witherspoon and I gave advice to in December of 2020. Justin writes, I just wanted to follow up with some good news. I had asked if it was a good idea to open a bookstore in our small town or if it was just an unnecessary indulgence, to which Tig and Reese agreed that opening a bookstore was not just a good idea, but a necessity. After hearing this endorsement, some friends of mine stepped up to enthusiastically pursue the bookstore idea. And now, thanks in part to Don't Ask Tig, I am pleased to announce that our small town of Antigonish or Antigonish, I like to think it's Antigonish, Nova Scotia, We'll be getting an indie bookstore this summer. It's called The Curious Cat. I wanted to sincerely thank you for your support of the bookstore idea. There's no doubt that this bookstore is happening in part because of Don't Ask Tig. Thanks for the update, Justin. I'm going to send some copies of my book your way, and I'm going to call Reese and let her know. So um, you'll probably be hearing from her, too, pretty likely. Now, on with the show. I spent an awful lot of time in my life trying to figure out who the f- guy I am. Mm-hmm. Do you ever talk like that on your uh, podcast? I, I curse on my podcast, absolutely. <laughs> with, no, with children. I do. Oh, oh, no. I, re- <laughs> I, I rarely curse when I'm communicating to children. Uh- <laughs> that would be such a funny curveball. This is Don't Ask Tig. I'm Tig Notaro telling you to just take a look. It's in a book, an advice podcast rainbow. My guest today is an actor, director, and producer known for his roles in Star Trek, Roots, and as the host of the beloved PBS children's series, Reading Rainbow. He also hosts his own podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. LeVar Burton, it's a true honor to have you on the show. Thanks for being here. Tig Notaro, to be a part of Tig Nation is indeed <laughs> an extreme and joyous pleasure for me. <laughs> it's really nice to, I guess I'm meeting you. Where Where are you? I'm in Los Angeles. Okay. You're here too. I am. I am here. Yeah. 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 Maybe one day we'll actually meet in the flesh. Well, did we not cross paths in Las Vegas uh, a couple of years ago at the big Star Trek con? No, I haven't done no? any Star Trek cons. <gasps> okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. We need to fix that. Exactly. Right? I mean, I've been told to do them. Um, I'm a little shy about them, to be honest. Why? Why? I don't know. I think I might have to ease into something like that. Okay, so first of all, yes. Tig, y- you come to the Star Trek universe with your own identity. Yeah. And number two, as a member of the Star Trek family, you are beloved. Oh, that's nice to hear. So get some of that love. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's real. Yeah. The love is real. You know, I, I did a panel at Comic-Con uh-huh. in San Diego. Okay. And so... I definitely felt 
that love, but I was only in and out in like an hour or two. And I think the conventions, they go on for days, right? And- well, it's, it's kind of a weekend thing. Look, should you ever decide to dip your toe, I tell you truly from my heart, you will be embraced in a way that is both surprising, uh-huh. comforting, and a bit scary. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I have so, heard that. That's why I think I'm, I'm somebody that has to ease into things. I have to yeah. talk to people. I got to right. do my research. I got to right. find out what I might be in for. I am happy to be a sounding board for you, but knowing you in the way that I do and knowing the universe of fans uh-huh. as intimately as I do, I know that you will be mightily embraced. Ah, well, all right. Maybe I'll do it. If, if you're at one of the uh, conventions and my schedule's free, then I'll for sure go. Cool. That'll be the plan. Absolutely. We have a plan. Let's execute. Well, now, speaking of Star Trek, you played Lieutenant Commander Jordy LaForge on The Next Generation. On Next Gen. And I play Commander Jet Reno on Discovery. So Commander to Commander, what does Star Trek mean to you? (sighs) Tig. LaVar. Well, I'm a, a, a lifelong fan of speculative fiction, science fiction. Gene Roddenberry's vision of the future was one that I encountered as a child that really spoke to me because one of the things that Gene was saying as a storyteller was that when the future comes, there's a place for you. And that meant the world to me. Yeah, I grew up in the 50s and 60s. Star Trek premiered in the latter part of the 60s. And it was the civil rights movement. It was, you know, it was Vietnam. It was flower power. It was make love, not war. Mm -hmm. But mostly it was the civil rights era for me. And it was not just refreshing. It was affirming to see a positive portrayal of a Black woman on the bridge of the Starship Enterprise. Yeah, I'm sure. I think Gene was a real visionary Mm -hmm. in that regard. What he was saying to me as a storyteller was that when the future comes, there's a place for you. I was, you know, a kid growing up in Northern California in Sacramento, kind of a bookworm, an early nerd (laughs) prototype. Um, It was so exciting to see myself on the screen. Even though Lieutenant Uhura was female, I identified with her because, you know, we had an obvious commonality in skin color. Uh And I'll be honest with you, Tig, it was not easy growing up a child of color in the 60s in these United States of America. I can only imagine. Right? Yeah. And so that one hour a week to live in a world that I I wanted so much to be a part of because it was so much more preferable to the world that I was living in the other six days a week had a major impact on me, to be honest. And that, how crazy to end up on Star Trek. Boggles the mind, yeah. right? The idea that I would grow up and be a part of the storytelling mechanism that Star Trek is in popular culture never ceases to blow me away. Yeah, I still kind of can't believe it. And I have such pride when I tell people, oh, I'm, I'm going off to shoot Star Trek or I'm a part of that world. I'm always concerned it doesn't sound as genuine when I say, oh, it's an honor. But it really is. It really is. 
I believe that the storytelling that we do in the business of entertainment and the mechanism of filmed entertainment in general is very probably the most powerful tool ever invented in the history of civilization for creating change, growth and change Mm -hmm. on a societal level, right? Mm -hmm. The stories that we tell, they contain the sum total of all that we hope and dream and wish for ourselves and our progeny throughout humanity. It is storytelling that is the vessel that delivers to us as human beings everything we need to know about being human, Mm -hmm. right? And so the idea that this one science fiction television series created by this man who was a writer and, you know, was certainly a man of his generation, but had this vision that was far-reaching and inclusive. Mm -hmm. And that vision has gone on to really make such a contribution to culture Mm -hmm. in this society, as well as others. Star Trek is, you know, it's it's embraced all over the planet. Oh my gosh, yeah. So to be a part of that storytelling mythos, to be a fan of it first and really buy in, Mm -hmm. drink the Mm Kool-Aid on the prime directive and the need necessity for successful societies, successful cultures to be inclusive and promote everyone based on their abilities and no other criteria, Mm -hmm. to depict a world where human beings would have resolved all the issues of race and sex and class. And to be a part of that storytelling mythos is no small thing for me. And what do you think is the essence of good storytelling? Well, you know, the experts say it's conflict. Mm -hmm. You know, good storytelling involves conflict. I I would also add that um, compelling characters that the audience cares about And for me, the added value of bringing something more to the exercise than simple entertainment. Mm. There's an opportunity to inform, Mm -hmm. to educate, enlighten. I believe if as a storyteller, I am doing my job right with the right material and the right partners and team involved, that the opportunity to really lift humanity up and light the way for ourselves is definitely present Mm -hmm. and on the table. Now, LeVar, one of your mentors, like, I mean, so many of us love this man, uh, Fred Mm -hmm. Rogers. Mm -hmm. What was the best advice that you ever got from him? Hmm. My relationship with Fred is a real North Star Mm -hmm. in my life and in my career. When I first met Fred um, in the early 80s, Mm I was really excited to meet Mr. Rogers. Of course. But even more than that, I was excited to meet Fred Rogers because I assumed that that was a character that he played on TV and that there was another aspect to the man that was rooted more, I I don't know what I expected, more of an adult presence, Mm -hmm. right? Not that he wasn't an adult as Mr. Rogers, but he he was an adult that really had a focus on being present and nurturing the well-being of an audience of children. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to see the other side of of that persona come to find out that Fred Rogers was absolutely that authentic, that person, that personality 
that we saw on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood was absolutely consistent with Fred Rogers, the man, the human being. Mm -hmm. Fred was a Presbyterian minister. And earlier in my life, I studied for the Catholic priesthood. So we met on the field of spiritual service to humanity. And I think the, the most important lesson I learned or was able to glean from Fred was how important it was to be authentic with my audience, especially an audience of children. Fred was all about being okay, just the way you are, Mm -hmm. exactly in this moment. And I learned from Fred that it was really okay to sort of use the medium of television as a ministry, Mm -hmm. as a way to reach an audience in an authentic manner with something of value. Yeah, I mean, you've both clearly done such tremendous work and reached so many people. I mean, it's really something. Thank you. LaVar, I think uh, it's time for us to get into some advice questions from our listeners. This is always dicey for me, too. Oh, you're going to be great. All right. They're asking for it. They need a lot of help these days. Are you ready? Mm, I'm as ready as I'll ever be. All right. All right, here we go. Not to be too on the nose, but uh, okay. our first question for you concerns kids and books. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. MB writes, I'm a high school English teacher and the leader of my department. Sometimes I have parents call to complain about the books we have students read as part of our curriculum. The books are the same things most schools assign teens that the teens don't read anyway, MB says. How would you approach these parent phone calls that question the appropriateness of reading material in a public high school? Good question. Yeah. Really? Because we are having a conversation in this country about what is and what is not appropriate to teach mm-hmm. in schools at an elementary level, at a, at a middle school level, and at a high school level. The issue of critical race theory comes most immediately to mind as an area where we are grappling. Um, I think it's healthy for parents to ask these questions. As I was growing up, there was something known as the classical education mm-hmm. And there was a reading list that included revered authors who had been identified and established as being representative of what we wanted our children to learn. It occurs to me, and and has occurred to me for some time, and it it is not lost on me, that some of those authors uh, come from a point of view that is not simply antiquated, but antithetical to the idea that this society is larger and more diverse than um, what I call my melanin-challenged brethren and sister. Mm -hmm. Okay? Melanin-challenged being code for white people. Now, (laughs) I I caught that. I know know you did, but, you know, I I didn't want to leave anyone in the audience (laughs) behind wondering, what the hell was LeVar talking about? You got to leave some people behind. Yeah, You know, I mean, because you got to make them get up and uh, look into something. I am always up for challenging ourselves to learn more, pick up a book, take a look and figure it out, right? So there are writers that I read as a kid that don't have an awful lot of relevance 
to today's world, to the world that we occupy in this now moment. And I'm all for revising those reading lists from time to time because societies evolve and the needs of people over time shift, grow, change. So I know it's a pain in the ass for school boards and school administrations to entertain these challenges from parents, but that's a healthy dynamic. Yeah. I grew up in a family where questioning authority was expected. Yeah. You question authority because nobody knows everything. And certainly from my mother's point of view, there were very few authorities in fact, none outside of her that knew absolutely what was best for me, her child, 24-7-365. Right. I feel the same way as a parent. Right. So, MB, I don't think I could have found anyone better to answer your question. You owe me one at this point. LeVar, <laughs> don't go anywhere. We'll return with more questions after the break. And we're back with more questions. LeVar, this next question concerns a potentially tricky combination, work mm. and love. Mm. Jay writes, I have a crush on my coworker. I'm 27, single, and currently in the dating scene, but I keep meeting dud after dud. My coworker has all the qualities I'd want in a potential partner, and I definitely find him attractive. Not only do I work with this guy, but he's also in a relationship. There's literally no point in me pondering the what-ifs, but it's so hard to shake these feelings, especially when I have to work with him 40 hours every week. Ugh. Do I just hope, pray, this crush diminishes or tell him how I feel? Help. I tend to feel like you don't tell him how you feel because he's in a relationship. I'm going to potentially contradict myself, but I still believe that maybe don't say anything. Somebody mentioned once that the only people that can respect any relationship is the people that are in the relationship. That's where the attention needs to be is on this guy that you work with. He has to respect his relationship with whoever he's in a relationship with. So I guess if you want to go out there and uh, let him know, then it's his responsibility to respect his relationship. I just personally would not feel comfortable telling somebody in a relationship that I had feelings for him. That's how I feel. I, I'm going to agree with you, and I'll take it a step further, Tig. I do not believe that it serves you, him, or the company you both work with to cross those streams, mm -hmm. as the kids say these days. Yeah. And it's really dangerous and can only lead to trouble. Where the responsibility is concerned, I believe in karma. Uh -huh. I definitely do. That that which you sow, so shall you reap. 
and you have to examine intent versus outcome. What would the intention be in telling him about your attraction? My assumption is that it would be to get a response from Uh him about said attraction. Well, that puts you in the middle of his relationship. Yeah. Right? You are now, you have now made yourself an interloper, Mm -hmm. an intruder into his relationship dynamic. And there's a cost. Yeah. And I feel like if this guy is not happy in his relationship or he's attracted to you, I feel like it's in his court to make some sort of move or decision to get out of his relationship or to make something clear to you. Mm -hmm. But if that is not going on, then it seems like he might be focused on his relationship. She didn't mention that, by the way, that there was any sort of reciprocity in terms of her feelings for him. Yeah, So uh, my advice would be keep your own counsel Mm -hmm. and focus on your life. I think there's a reason why all of the candidates you have found lacking in one way or another. And that the one candidate that you find most appealing or appropriate is one that is unavailable to you. I think there's something really to look at there Mm -hmm. for you and puzzle out for yourself. Because I have had to learn over time that there are no accidents Mm -hmm. in the universe, that everything has purpose. And even when I am not conscious of what my purposeful intentions are, they're still at play. They're still in there operating as the engine that's driving the train. So being aware, being aware of who we are, being aware of what our buttons are, being aware of where our damage is and what we're trying to compensate for and all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. right? All of that makes a difference. And and we need to keep it all in mind if what we are looking for is a healthy expression of ourselves, of who we are. Here, here. All right, Jay, that's what we think you should do. Let us know how it goes. Please. Yeah, LeVar wants you to swing by his house and let him know. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, LeVar, like you said, in the past, you contemplated priesthood, right? I did. All right, that might qualify you to answer our next question, which comes to us from the confession booth. Welcome to the confession booth. The Don't Ask Tig confession booth features listeners sharing what they've never told anyone in order for us to give them the advice that they're afraid to ask for. Wow. Today's confession was sent in by Lori, who writes, One night when I was in high school, I was driving my grandma to dinner in her Cadillac. I passed the restaurant and made what I think was an illegal left turn because the giant median made a big thump thump under her car as I made a U-turn. I heard a lot of horns blowing. When I circled back around, there was what I think was some kind of crash, and later I heard sirens while we were in the restaurant. To this day, I have no idea whether I was the cause of that crash or if anything bad happened to those people. 
I'm a person who spends my life contributing all of my energy to my work, my family, my friends, and to nonprofits. And I have also suffered crazy, improbable incidents that have caused me a lifetime of intractable chronic pain. Is this karma? I am just not sure how to feel about that. Please give me the perfect answer. Oh my gosh, you were just talking about karma. Mm, mm -hmm. This is really tied in (laughs) to what we were just talking about. First of all, are you glad you're not a priest? Yes, without question. I mean, you'd have to deal with this all the time, right? Well, it's it's not the dealing of, with this that I'm sure the there's issue. more things. There's yes. more. There are there are more yeah. things. Uh, yeah, absolutely. But this is this is a lot. This, this is a lot. This is a lot. Let, let let me start out by saying I do not believe that there is a perfect answer. Mm-hmm. That's good. However, that is true. I do believe that there is an appropriate answer for you. Do you have that appropriate answer? I. I, I don't know. Yeah. I, I feel like I'm light on the circumstances. Yeah. It sounds like her intuition, her inner knowingness knew that on some level she did something that could have caused mm-hmm. an accident or some mishap, some trouble for other people in the wake of her left-hand turn. But without really investigating it, she'll never know. What she needs to deal with, though— And I think the more important aspect of her question and questioning is what does she do with the feelings of the unresolved feelings that she has about what transpired on that night? Yeah. Um, And I'm, again, just going to take a cue from her when she said that she spends a lot of time, effort, and energy on charitable causes. I'm going to assume that she is genuine Mm -hmm. in that assessment of herself and that Perhaps whatever happened um, in the past as regards that incident, she might do well to just let go and focus on the good works that she does now Mm -hmm. and going forward. I think it's all that you can do. Perhaps think of a balancing of the scales, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let go of that past and move into the present and focus on what you can do. I'm a big fan of doing what I can from where I am. Mm-hmm. And so that's the advice that I would give to her. Do what you can where you are. That's the only control you have right now. You can't go back in time and you don't know who these people are. It was so long ago. And not that when you're in high school, you're not an aware person, but I still feel like you're not as aware. You don't you're far, far from yeah, fully Yeah, and you're not really understanding certain consequences. I just, I think that you do need to move on. And I think it is great that you are giving so much to your life and to others. And that really is kind of the only thing that you can do. Because what are you going to do? Are you going to go on a hunt and ask around who were these people in 1980 or I don't know what year it was? You know, you'd have to get a detective to find out who these people were, what happened, how you can fix this. It's not possible. Yeah. I think it speaks a lot to the quality of of, of her character that she even has this concern all of this these years later. Um, Yeah. Give yourself a break. Stop beating yourself up. Um, Be happy with who you are and what you're able to do in the world. Lori, thanks for your confession. Um, That's intense. 
And as the Catholics would say, uh, say three Hail Marys and three Our Fathers and uh, <laughs> via con yeah, Dios. and you're all set. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Hear, hear. I'm on his side with that. <laughs> Listeners, <laughs> if you have a confession, call 833-ASK-TIG-4. That's 833-275-8444. And leave me a voicemail. Feel free to make it anonymous. LaVar, that's all of our listener questions. But before I go mm-hmm. and let you go, I have one final thing. It's it's something called Name That Thing. Name That Thing. This is a segment people write in when they need us to name that thing for them. Okay. Anything from a houseplant to a Wi-Fi network. The catch is they must use the name. This is binding, so we can't mess it up. Love it. Think you can handle this? I'm. I'm so. It's a lot of responsibility. What the ask is? No, 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 no. I'm so into this. I'm okay. ready. Okay. This comes from the ancient one. Okay. Greetings, Tig, and unknown future guest. That would be me. Yeah, that's you, Lavar. Cool. Many guitar players have named their instruments. B.B. King had Lucille. I have a new guitar, and I'd love you to name it for me. Well, if your inclination is that your new guitar is male, mm-hmm. I'm going to go with Kunta, K-U-N-T-A, okay. as in Kunta Kinte, the protagonist in Roots. Nice. Um, and if your guitar is, in fact, female, then I'm going to go with Kizzy also a character from Roots. So Kunta or Kizzy. Um, and remember, this is binding. Have you named anything else Kunta or Kizzy? Oh, I call, I refer to myself as Kunta all the time. Mm. And I refer to my wife as Kizzy in Mother's Day and anniversary cards. Ah, well, there you go. A nice insight for you, the ancient one. I wonder how old the ancient one is. Oh my gosh. Uh, well, uh, all right, the ancient one. Your guitar is now named either Kunta or Kizzy. So just remember, depending on if it's male or female, what do we do if this is a non-binary guitar? Wow. Um, then you're on your own, okay. ancient one. And being as ancient as you are, I'm sure you will come up with something appropriate. Yeah. You have a lot of history or herstory. To choose or from. Or themstory. Or themstory. Yes. To choose from. Absolutely. Right. We've reached the end of our show, LeVar. It's been an absolute pleasure. Went way too fast, Tig. I know. It flew by. Thanks for taking the time to be here with us. My pleasure, Tig. Do you have anything that you want to promote? Um, I would love to encourage folks to tune into my podcast, LeVar Burton Reads. There's a new episode that drops every Tuesday. We're in our ninth season of the podcast. And every episode, I handpick a different piece of short fiction, and I read it to you. The only thing these stories have in common is that I love them. And I hope you will, too. Thank you again so much for being here, LeVar. I'm a big fan. And I, you. Peace and blessings.
Don't Ask Tig is hosted by me, Tig Notaro. It's produced by Thomas Willette, Shana Deloria, and Ryan Lohr. Our editor is Beth Perlman, executive producer Lauren D., engineering and sound mixing by Johnny Vince Evans and Eric Romani, digital production by Christina Lopez, talent booking by Marianne Ways, production support from Pizza Shark. Our theme music is Friend in Tig by Edie Brickell and Kyle Crusham. And Listen to Your Heart by Edie Brickell. Special thanks to Hunter Seidman, Lily Kim, and Alex Shepard. Concept developed by Tracy Mumford. Our executive consultant is Dean Capello and Gobsmack Studios. You can always ask for advice at don'tasktig.org. Just write in with your problem or send us a voicemail. Remember to follow us on social media at Don't Ask Tig. Don't Ask Tig is a production of American Public Media. And as always, thanks, Dana, and I'll tell Becky. I'm stand-up comedian and sex symbol Tig Notaro. And I'm actor and writer Cheryl Hines. Before Cheryl and I got into the big business of podcasting together, (laughs) we were just simply friends. And we're still friends. But now we talk about a different documentary every week on our podcast, Tig and Cheryl, True Story. So whether you love documentaries or just want to hear us slowly lose our minds, check out Tig and Cheryl, True Story, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, cool. (laughs) 